Make a move it, then she'll call him. Forest fires, Google's ballin'. Take a chance and roll the dice one day. If you're a DM player, find you. Millennials can join this quest too. Expedition, we're gonna find a way. So, welcome to the, I guess, the penultimate Grizzly Peaks episode. Um, there may be a couple more actual plays before the end of season one. And I had a bunch of calls, very varied, um, kind of following on from my experiences and observations at Dundracon. And um, yeah, let's just go straight into them and um, hope you enjoy. Oh, Andy, that's so funny. I really don't think it's bad what you have did to Gormenghast at all. I think it's great what you did. Um, and, yeah, it's that's really sweet and funny. Anyway, I hope you're having a good time at the convention. Um, rest assured that um, I don't I don't think badly of uh, your Gormenghast roleplay work at all. See you. Hey, Andy, it's Jay. Just catching up on episodes. Listen to Dundracon Day One. Um, and it was way more exciting and interesting to listen to than I expected. Um, I, I, when I did con episodes, I always was worried that they would be dull to anyone outside. But it was actually quite fascinating. And I wanted to thank you for doing it. I'm um, looking forward to listening to Day Two on the way home from work tonight. Um, I just wanted to say, regarding your Gormengas thing, you sort of said, hey, D&D, you fired it. And I just think that's no problem, you know. I just feel like if something inspired you to create an adventure and then you kind of end up cloaking the source of that, I think that's just kind of cool. People aren't necessarily going to know or care either way, really, uh, as long as they have a good game. So I hope it was a good game. And um, I'm looking forward to hearing part two. I just wanted to sort of call in and thank you for sharing. Game on. Thank you very much for those messages, Barney and Che. Always good to hear from you both. Always plenty to think about. Um, I guess I was only half, half thinking that Barney would be judging me. He is known to judge people, though. So, Barney, you can't really blame me for that. <laughs> no, I like to think of it that you are a, um, you know, you're, you're intellectually probing things so it deserves some probing and um whilst you know fundamentally i agree with what shay said is that you know you can take whatever inspiration you want and you know you can mask it in a number of different ways um and you kind of process it and it comes out of something else and and absolutely you know there's no there's nothing wrong with it even wholesale lifting things, stealing them, putting into the, into your game. In fact, that's what we all do, whether consciously or unconsciously. Um, but I think, I think what I was getting at, um, what I was getting at really was that I was to some extent trying to emulate the themes and the tone of Gormenghast. And... I actually failed. I, I, you know, I, I'm 
clear-eyed enough about it now to know that that I failed. And and I talk about this on on uh, Barney's appendicitis on our appendicitis uh, joint podcast on Loco Ludus. Um, that really the tone of it is very elusive. It's very hard to capture. And and that in the end, if if you want to have a fun D and D game, you've got to kind of go quite a long way from from the source material. And 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 to some extent, maybe I felt that that was a bit of a failure. I didn't feel that the campaign was a failure. I thought the campaign actually was a great campaign. Um, I certainly enjoyed it. I. I ran it, um, you know, in total, I, I, if I add up all the time that I ran it for, it was, it was well over two and a half years for two different groups. And they've both become ga- gaming buds for life. You know, both those groups are people I play with regularly or um, infrequently, but, but, but you know, uh, still, still keeping the flame alive. So, you know, you could argue that's about personal chemistry, that's about how you are as a group, but I think there's also something about the the campaign that you run. Um, you can, uh, well, I, I guess you could say a good DM can make any campaign good, can make a bad campaign good, and a, and a bad DM can make even the best material into garbage. Um, but I think there's also something about getting, you know, getting the tone right for the group that you're with. Um, you know, I think, I think what I ended up having to do, uh, is, is put a lot more fantasy elements in that I really wanted to keep it low magic, gritty, um, rural and urban, um, kind of folk magic and, and these kind of themes and ritual and a lot of, about ritual. And, and I don't think I ever really managed to do that. I think there were bits and pieces of it but um but yeah I, I think I've probably drained that well um as a topic now um but yeah I I, th- I think um I think I had to make certain decisions for the good of the game and and okay there's nothing wrong with that but in my heart maybe I'm thinking one day maybe I'll figure out how to actually create a Gorman cast Gormengast campaign because there's so much there um, and and probably the conclusion is you just shouldn't do it in D&D um, that, that is the wrong structure as Shay would put it that's the wrong structure for telling that kind of a story Hey Andy, Jason here I could listen to your pre-coffee rambles all day long Andy, 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 Andy. <laughs> How do you get up at 6.30 in the morning and then think about Schopenhauer? Seriously. <laughs> you say that I'm the one who gets up early and, uh, you know, oh my goodness. Um, Yeah, deep stuff, man. Deep stuff. But thank you. I'm halfway through your second episode about Thundracon. I'm looking forward to the rest of the day. Uh, it was lovely to hear about um, the young player. Um, and I uh, just wanted to say thanks for sharing that. It was great. Game on. High praise indeed. <laughs> From Jason. Oh dear. Oh dear. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, um, it's kind of a bit like <laughs> a bit, a bit, a bit of an a 
ASMR thing going on there, my friend, is it not? No, I don't want to put words into your mouth, but um, you know what? I think maybe this is a thing that, that we should all do, uh, that everyone podcasting on Anchor should do. They, they should record literally as soon as they wake up and see what happens. Uh, you know, the voices are croakier, you've got the coffee machine going in the background. It's kind of like um, an an audio-visual collage, uh, an audio collage, rather, of, um, of, of of what it's like to be up at six in the morning with your game ahead, not even firmly screwed on yet. Um, so, uh, so, yeah. Um, and, yeah, I, yeah, Trey, Schopenhauer at 6.30, probably a bad idea. I don't think it says a lot of good things about you your mental state does it if you're if you're quoting uh if you're quoting schopenhauer at uh, 6 30 in the morning um apropos i mean uh, it's not someone i really ever think about that much but um but there's a fantastic new podcast which i cannot remember the name of but it's 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 uh, put out by the hp lovecraft historical society um and it's all about Lovecraft's letters. Um, now, for those of you that don't really know a lot about H.P. Lovecraft or, or don't know much beyond just um, his fictional works, his fictional works are just a tiny, tiny fragment of everything that he wrote. He apparently wrote 100,000 letters in in his brief lifetime. And these weren't just like little... Uh, scribbled off screeds. Some of them ran to sixty or seventy pages. So, so yeah, um, <laughs> he uh, he wrote a lot more of that. And so, to I guess to understand him and understand, and he wrote a lot of really horrible stuff in these letters. Of course, everyone knows that, or, or at least if, if you know nothing about these letters, that's what you do know is that a lot of the racist stuff kind of really came out there. Um, and he probably, and he did actually, I think to some extent, change over, as he got older, I think his opinions did, did change somewhat. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, um, there's a letter, <laughs> which just amused me, I was listening to the podcast yesterday, I really honestly can't remember it, but check it out, it's fantastic, if you're into Lovecraft, this is an amazing well of, of deep, deep cuts about, about old HP. Um... And there's this hilarious letter. Well, it's kind of hilarious, but he, he's written it just after his mother died, so it's obviously not that hilarious. But um, uh, he uh, he goes off on one. He absolutely goes off on one um, about Freud, about Sigmund Freud, <laughs> saying what nonsense it is. And, and of course, you know, have a little think about that his mother's just died sigmund freud mother fixations of course he's you know and this is a notorious hp uh, lovecraft notoriously someone not in touch with his emotions and sexuality and all of this stuff so yeah of course he's going to hate freud but um yeah he, he he writes freud off as just a just a scribbler or a, or a you know me, you know you know a mental midget Sorry, that's not meant to be. That's very on PC to say that, but but then he talks about how um, how terrible Kant is as well, <laughs> and um, and but he loves Schopenhauer. So, what's that saying about me? Um, Schopenhauer, for those of you that don't really 
know it, and I don't really know it myself. I'm just a pseudo intellectual, of course, at heart. But uh, maybe, uh, but Che obviously does, and I'm sure Dave Aldridge does as well, from Deeper Centile. But um, he was very, um, I, I guess, fatalistic about man, um, and, and um, very, you know, very much uh, the the atheist. Um, nihilist, uh, sort of proto-Nietzschean, or I, to be honest, I don't know what whether he came before or after. I think he came before Nietzsche, but you know that whole thing. So, so I guess it is pretty gloomy to be to be talking about it at six thirty in the morning. But I like the fatalism. The fatalism is good, and, and actually, I think that's what people don't get about nihilism or fatalism. Is it actually frees you up to some degree to know that actually. There is no meaning, and you know that was that was H.P. Lovecraft's fundamental thesis: is that there is no meaning to the universe. It's cold and uncaring, and humanity is is irrelevant. And if you look at the science, um, if you look at the science of the time, repositioning man's place in the universe very specifically—not just we're no longer the center of the solar system. And, you know, of course, we knew that for a long time. We're no longer the center of anything. At this point, we are, you know, in, as Douglas Adams would put it, in the unfashionable end of the western spiral arm of the Milky Way. And we're, we're a nothing planet in a nothing solar system in a nothing galaxy. And you could say in a nothing universe as well, really, if you want to keep, keep extrapolating. So, um, you know, that was Lovecraft's thing. Um, you know, his Cthulhu and those things, they weren't gods, they were just these alien entities that we mistakenly thought were go- well. <laughs> the cultists in his writing mistakenly thought of as gods, um, and and would probably uh, and would have uh, just been squashed as much as anyone else uh, as soon as old uh, old tentacle face came up from Rillier. So, enough nonsense about philosophy and the um, the void, the utter meaninglessness of of all. Uh, existence and reality. Hey, Josh Beckelheimer here. So, I do have a question about your MCC game, and rather this is also about DCC as well, which I know you didn't play, but in that first con episode, you mentioned how you were printing off the 5th edition spell sheets, or, you know, the spells. Do you do that for your Mutant Crawl Classic games? And I ask because I have the DCC starter, and honestly, I love the ideas of the spells being completely random, but whenever I look at it, it gives me anxiety to run that game because of that, you know, the randomness of the spells. It seems to tack on more things that I want to handle. So I was just curious if you print those out in advance, because, you know, in DCC, some of those spells are like one page long, and each new effect is like a paragraph or two describing what has happened. And I just think that's a little too overwhelming for me. So what a great message there from Josh, Josh Beckelheimer from JB Publishing. Um, a short message, but um, so many ideas packed into it, or, or ideas that maybe need a bit of unpacking. Um, so first up, um, um, I, I guess Mutant Cruel Classics versus Dungeon Cruel Classics, um, mutant powers versus spells, complexity, and and how you run it at the table. Um, so, 
I don't, and the, and the problem is I don't really know DCC very well. Um, I, I guess I should really look at the um, uh, quick start that I got um, from the con for free. Um, but the mutant powers, at least as far as I know, they're, pre they're pretty easy to run. Um, you know, you roll your D30, or uh, I, I guess you don't necessarily start with a D30, you start with a with a d20 and as you get more powerful as you go up as you level up your your dice increases that's the that's the basic mechanic of improvement in in the dcc mcc continuum is you start with a d20 and you can actually you can actually go down as well in some circumstances but then it goes up to a d24 and then ultimately it goes up to a d30 when you get um, up to the higher levels which is a really cool and neat mechanic of course it's also a very clever way of getting you to buy a bunch of other dice um for the there's uh, luzoki uh, dice um nevertheless it's uh it's actually a really cool mechanic. Uh, I had never seen it before. I, I felt the same sense of wonder looking at those insane dice. The D7 is the one that does my head in. Absolutely does my head in. I guess the D5 is also pretty weird as well. But I show it to players who have only ever played D&D. They do have a moment of WTF. Um, I, I guess it's, uh, you know, the, the, the dice are there in a way to to trigger that feeling again like that we had when we were kids of seeing percentile dice for the first time. Um, but the fact that they're not symmetrical or platonic solids, uh, of course they can't be. There's only a certain number of platonic shapes or platonic solids out there. Um, it, does, it does kind of, you know, sets a little itch going at the back of my mind. I, I don't know. Um, the need for symmetry. So, rambling off on another dis, uh, you know, you know, sidetrack there, of course. But back to um, Josh's question about the effects. I, I actually think that the MCC effects are, for mutant powers are, are somewhat more consistent, perhaps. Or certainly, I, I didn't find them that strange. They just seem to increase the potency of whatever is happening. Now, yeah, some of them say will say um, some other some actually I'm, I'm I'm thinking about it now the ones that affect the mutant tend to be a bit more variable so let's say you have some protection um, power it actually changes the nature of that protection from maybe protecting you from damage to protecting you from radiation to protecting you from something else and I'm just making stuff up now I don't I, I can't remember any of them the ones where you're attacking another um, you know, another creature or person, they tend to be more about scaling up the, the potency of the attack, so they're a bit more consistent. Um, uh, but also there as well, you can kind of move things around telekinesis, you can teleport things, you can do all kinds of stuff. So, yeah, I, I guess I'm now talking myself back more towards your position where they are very variable. Personally, I, you know, I didn't, really have a problem with that i i thought it was great to be honest because you just brought the book along and you didn't need to learn you don't need to learn the spell so in a way in a way it's actually easier because if you think about it with the D D um D 
D&D spells, there's kind of an impetus or uh, on you to learn the spell. Um, something about the structure of the game means you don't want players riffling through the book whenever they cast a spell. It creates what um, Misdirected Mark podcast calls latency. Uh, you know, a, a $15 word for something very simple. Uh, it just means it slows the game down. Um, so anything that that slows the game down probably is a bad thing. But I think the difference with, with um, MCC and DCC is it's so baked into the structure that you, you roll the dice and you look up on the table what happens that it doesn't feel like it's slowing the game down. At least not to me it didn't. So what I would say is yes takes a bit longer at the table but it's part of the structure and it also puts less workload on you as a GM and on your players as as spellcasters or mutants because you don't ever really have to learn what the thing does each description at least an MCC is only one or two lines so they're really quite simple so you read it and then you apply it so I, I didn't find the same problem to be honest um you know, uh, the fact that they only have one or two also means you've only got like a couple of pages that you need to to bookmark and, and, and look at. But the thing that you hinted at and mentioned, now this is something I find really interesting, and I wanted to call you in a call into your show about it, but I'll talk about it here as well. You talk a lot about anxiety, uh, about your crippling anxiety, and, and those are your words. I'm not, I'm not, you know, em- emphasizing or amplifying anything. Those are the words you use, and I, I, I have, I have plenty of friends who suffer from anxiety, and, and people that are close to me. Um, so I can, I, I know what it is from from a third from a third party perspective, from from an outside view. Um, I don't think anyone that doesn't suffer genuinely suffer from clinical anxiety can possibly understand really what that's like i i see the the outcomes of it the effects of it and and it shocks me sometimes about how how devastating it can be to the individual so so it's it's very hard for me to really but it's very hard for me to really grasp that on a visceral level like yes i have anxiety everyone suffers from anxiety at times like i get this anxiety uh, like everyone else before running a game i have anxiety before taking a driving test i it's been a long time but i used to have anxiety before going to exams but i'm a very lucky person and i i I, I, I count myself having seen the devastating effects of, of, of clinical anxiety. Um, uh, I know how lucky I am. Because anxiety, it's there, but it doesn't actually take me over at all. And I think for a lot of people, this is the case, that it doesn't, um, it doesn't stop you from doing the thing. And, and I, I don't know about you, Josh, um, I don't know whether you ever get to that point where you just say, sorry guys, game's off, I can't run it. But I can imagine, I, I know people with, with anxiety in other areas and, and it certainly would affect them in that way where they literally can't, can't walk out the door. Um, and I know there are different levels of it and different gradations of it. For me actually, and I, I hate to say this, Josh, if you're listening, but anxiety actually makes me perform better. Um, and I think it's it's really, to in my 
stupid, un, 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 uninformed way. I think that people that suffer from anxiety, that response, that fight or flight response is so turned up that it actually doesn't enable you to fight. It just makes you want to fly. And, um, and I, I think for, you know, for the rest of us, it's, a uh, it's something that, that we just observe and, and, and process and deal with. Um, I honestly don't know how you can run, uh, games of, you know, RPGs that it's so strange to think about it, that we're meeting with our friends in a social context. Um, we're just hanging out, and, and 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 here I'm talking about someone who doesn't suffer from anxiety. Myself, getting together with your friends in this social context, it does create anxiety for me, and it's like it's so weird. Why is it doing that? Because I never get anxious for just going to the pub and having a drink. Um, I, I don't get anxious before parties. I don't like parties, but I don't get anxious about them. I just don't want to go because I find them boring. <laughs> I, get, I get bored. I just want to go home and, and read uh, and read uh, Masks and I'll Arthur Tep again. So to, to prepare for my game. But um, I honestly, honestly would love you to, to go into some... I know you talk about the tools that you use to reduce anxiety. And that's obviously one technique is that there are structural ways in which you can address it but does that really I guess they're just trying to you know tamp it down a bit because I've never run a game where that hour before you're sitting there a little bit anxious chewing your nails just a little bit thinking oh god I hope it's going to work out today or I didn't prep enough or uh, you know that was such a big session last time how can we follow it up or this big set piece it better come off it better be the the best session we've had um so i honestly i i admire you hugely josh for being able to even run a game um and um i'd love to hear you know what that feels like if you're ever willing to talk about it i i i really would Hey Andy, Jason here. I'm glad you enjoyed the first day of the con. I hope the second day goes just as good. Um, so a good example of the craziness of the California gamers would be Arduin, right? I, I'm pretty sure Arduin comes from California. Anyway, I, you know, Hardgrave lived out there. So, the Hardgrave. Anyhow, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't defend the SCA. Because a couple decades ago, I was kind of involved in the SCA. So the Society of Creative Anachronism really isn't LARPing. It is, but they'll tell you it's not. Um, they call it historic reenactment. And, you know, it is nonprofit. And, you know, they, they do some good things. It's at its heart. It probably really is LARPing. But they'll cringe if you tell them that. They'll point out all the reasons it's not. So I, I, I guess that's a, a backhanded defense of it. Anyway. Hello Andy, it's Edwin here. Um, I wanted to leave a message to say how much I enjoyed listening to your reports from Dundracon, uh, and I'm glad that you enjoyed it so much. Uh, I'm glad Amelia did enjoyed it so much as well. Uh, she seemed to have a whale of a time. I can't help but thinking that if she was in the UK, the social services might come knocking on the door. Um, but yeah, why not? You only come murder hobo. Um, 
DCC is is great fun. Um, I don't. I've never played MCC, so I don't know how dissimilar it is. I wouldn't have thought it was much more complicated. Um, and I'm, it's certainly within your capabilities to run. Uh, I'm going to have to stop here because of the time. I'm not going to comment on Goodman's games. Um, other concerns at the moment. Um, you, we've all seen the video now, I think. They do seem to be quite good people, though. I think you've got that impression. Um, as to the handing out of the goodies, um, as somebody who runs their games in public venues, you're, you're eligible to sign on as a member of their road crew um, and earn your own swag. Um, and get swag sent to you um, for distributing. Um, I think everybody likes free stuff, even if it's on the key rings, and players certainly enjoy it. If they're first-time players, you know, kids, um, having an experience, taking away free stuff is great, isn't it? And it does sound as if the kids at your table um, did have a, a great experience uh, and a great time. Um, I hope that the first first timers among them uh, get the bug. So kudos to you for that. Um, the lad who you described as your MVP, um, the things he was doing made me think of the um, feature in DCC. I, call, I think it's called Feet of Arms, where you can kind of specify that you're doing something particularly cool, um, which is always fun, isn't it? Um, two minor quibbles because what would life be without quibbles um, I think um, Jules from NZ uh, and the rest of her nation will, will dispute that flat whites come from Australia uh, I personally don't think that you're powerful level one in I don't think you're particularly powerful at level one in DCC um, you're probably one hit dice less squidgy than um, in the funnel um, or the week before last um, we had a TPK of level one characters which uh, knocked us back a little um, great fun though um, nobody quite tears up our our um, character sheets in front of our face I think that would make me cry uh, but we do get a big red pen and say killed by salamanders um, or giant rats or stubbing your toe anyway thanks for the uh, podcast and hopefully I'll talk to you again soon cheers Sam. hi Andy Spencer here just wanted to thank you for a couple of great Dundracon episodes uh, really enjoyed those and also congratulations for raising what has to be the cutest murder hobo alive uh, well done sir and uh, really enjoyed Space Dicks. Really, really entertaining. Uh, hope to hear more of those coming our way. Take care. So thank you, Edwin, and thank you, Spencer, for, for those messages. Um, yeah, conventions, uh, conventions, conventions, a newish thing in my life. It's not even been a year um, that I've been going to conventions and they're now one of the most like 
anticipated and, and looked forward to um, thing in my life, <laughs> actually. And um, yeah, there, there was a complete mess up with with Gary Con with the um, with the game bookings. They they they're totally oversubscribed at the moment, and it's a massive pain because. Um, because you know, you if you're a silver badge holder, and most people are, um, it's all it's in, it's almost impossible to get a gold or a platinum badge anyway, regardless of the fact that they're, they're way more expensive. Um, it's virtually impossible to get one because they go instantly when they go on sale, um, and then the servers crash. But this time, you know, so when you have a silver, you're basically waiting for for that, you know, for. 10 o'clock on the dot on that Saturday to get online and book the games that you want and this time their servers were overloaded and it was a complete disaster and they had to then redo it last Sunday and by the time we all got back online and got to do it a week later you know everything was gone uh, uh, I, I, I actually ended up not, not booking any games at all I have not. I have not booked to play a single game at GaryCon. Now, for me, that's not such an issue. I'm I'm running four games over the four days. We're we're going for the full the full four days this time, and um, I'm running a four hour session each day. So, to be honest, at my age, I I that is enough. <laughs> that is enough. I honestly don't understand these people, or maybe they're just a lot younger than me, who can run, who can play like twelve hours a day, and then you know, a night, an, an after-hours session, and a, oh my god, I just can't imagine it. So, um, so I'm doing my four hours a day. Now, there's going to be a bunch of off-the-books games this year. So, um, you know, the 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 reason for that is is that um, suddenly I know people. <laughs> like, so when I went last year. Um, I knew one person going to GaryCon. Okay, I also knew one other person who was um, uh, vaguely through Facebook, but never really met him. I had one genuine person that I knew, one one friend who I from New York. This year, literally, there's I think fifteen people that I know. There's a bunch of people from the Audio Dungeon Discord. Um, there's three of my group from New York going. Obviously, my wife Medina and my daughter Amelia are going, although I shouldn't count them. And then there's people that I met last year that we've stayed in touch that actually I ran, I ran games for or, or met through other friends um, or met through my, my New York pal. So, so suddenly there's this like big group of people. We're, we're all chatting, we're all planning. Um, we're get, you know, I'm going to be running some off-the-books games for those. You know, of course, none of my friends got into any of my games, and I couldn't get into any of my friends' games, so we're like, well, fuck that. Let's just play our own games. Um, we're renting out, actually, quite a big place this year for um, for the family, um, which will have, like, a, an area where we can play. So, so that's pretty cool. Um, and, and we'll run some uh, run some evening games there. I was so disappointed. I was desperate to get into the um, to get into the Jim Jim Wampler's game. So Jim Wampler, um, the fantastic artist that I talked about, the um, the designer, the creator of um, 
of, uh, sorry, I'm about to crash, the, <laughs> the designer of uh, You Can Crawl Classics, and also, uh, as I've now checked up, he, he actually did Marvin the Mage in the Dragon magazine, so he, he didn't really work for TSR exactly, I think he, he, he just did stuff for Dragon magazine. I may be wrong about that. Anyway, he's he print he created. I'm a friend of his on Facebook. He created um, the, um, all the figures from the awful green things from Outer Space, one of the best board games of all time. Um, uh, and it's full. It's got these aliens and the, 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 the all these weird objects. And and he 3D printed it all. He created the starship. Uh, I can't remember what it's called, but, you know, canisters of squawks. I, I think it's the Znutar, uh, or something. I can't remember exactly. I played it when I was, like, 13, so... Anyway, he's running a game of that, and there was one ticket left. I didn't manage to get it. F you, Gary Con. Make it easier to play the games. I think they, they tried something different this year. But anyway, point being, I've suddenly got all these friends, and... through gaming, and... I don't know about you, I don't know how old you might be, listener, dear listener, but by the time you get to my age, and I'm I'm over 50 now, not much over 50, um, I'm over 50 now, um, it's really hard to make friends now. Uh, and maybe that's, and the truth is, it's a consequence of, of our decisions in our lives. We We keep moving. We have lived... I was trying to work this out. Uh, so between 2014 and 2019, so in five years, we lived in one, two, three, four, five, five different cities and two different countries, none of which were were our, our home countries. So, um, so that's a decision we made. And... It's, it was really hard to make friends in, in all of these places because we weren't local. We didn't have a network. We, you know, I made friends through work, sure. Um, some, of, some of whom are now lifelong friends. But, you know, every time we moved in the States, it was like uproot, move somewhere else. And, um, you know, having a, having a kid also makes it a little bit easier to make friends or at least you make kind of, you know, parent friends who I often don't think of as being <laughs> real friends. Um, but the gaming, getting into the gaming, and particularly getting more, you know, you know, finding all of these groups that I now play with and, and being on the audio dungeon and becoming a podcaster and being part of this podcasting community, that has, that's changed, uh, changed things for me. Um, and I just like to say, really, how wonderful gaming is for that, because you know you've already got this thing that you're passionate about. You already know that you're going to share a lot of things um, culturally, artistically, um, you know, in terms of the things we enjoy doing with our time, intellectually as well. I think you know, gaming is an intellectual thing. It's not, you know, it's it's not. It's not just um, switch your brain off and, and, and drink a bunch of beer and get drunk. There's there's a lot of thought that needs to go into into you know how you play. It can be hard work at times. So so yeah, there's there's all these things that we um, that we kind of almost take for granted. I think as gamers, um, but but they are the the glue that binds us together. And 
I've been so fortunate in a way to 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 be part of these communities and to meet these people because I I would not have made any friends in the US. I can guarantee that I'm not someone that easily makes friends. Um, I'm not. I'm kind of sociable, but I'm not really sociable. And um, but gaming has has brought all these things and people to my life, and I'm eternally grateful for that. With the DCC MCC game, um, you're probably right, Edwin. You know, at first level, you, you've got some more hit points, but I believe you, you get a better. Um, you know, if you're a warrior or a whatever it is in, in, in each system, I think you get better attack tables and, um, you know, certainly in MCC, the difference is that, um, and I don't know how this works in DCC, but in MCC, uh, if you're a mutant, you actually get your mutant powers for the first time. And um, when you get to first level, you go through mutagenesis. And, and that can be super powerful. I, I remember, uh, I'm, admittedly, he rolled really, really well on the mutant, um, uh, on the mutation table and got some crazy, like, time-stopping powers that you could just, like, freeze the enemy for, for several rounds. It was, it was pretty powerful to go from being just a zero-level chump to being able to stop time with <laughs> with his mind, so uh, I don't know. Maybe DCC doesn't. Um, maybe DCC doesn't really uh, accommodate that or, or, or include that. Um, I don't know. Yeah. So um, Amelia, <laughs> my little murder hobo. Um, I do sometimes wonder whether in years to come she will kind of listen to these or, or look back on all the things that <laughs> I've inflicted on her and, and just be really, really pissed off with me. Um, I, I hope not. I really hope not. Um, she obviously really enjoys it now. And we have, we have a wonderful, like, gaming, um, like, fun together. We really do. Um, so... We, we um, if, if you've heard our very first actual play that we did, um, I actually played, uh, ran her through, I actually ran her through the entire um, Rick and Morty starter set adventure, and we had a blast. I've actually, I've actually recorded um, all the entire, the entire campaign, if you like, um, it amounts to a, about a couple of hours of uh, recordings, and um, I may well release release the first one or the the first chunk, which is about forty five minutes. Um, she, she is a natural gamer. She is, of course, a murder hobo. She does, but what I've been trying to do, you know, my um, uh, you know my uh, fatherly duties. Uh, notwithstanding uh i have been trying to educate her that she can actually talk to things she doesn't have to kill everything um i'm not sure it's fully sunk in yet or bedded in <laughs> with her um but i'll probably put that up at some point and if people want to listen to it it's there 
Um, bizarrely, it's like the best sound quality of any actual play I've done because, uh, you know, it's just recorded on the phone, but it's like right next to us, behind us, and there's just two of us. Um, so you get a very nice, clean uh, voice track on it. Uh, if only I could um, uh, keep my actual uh, players in some kind of, um, have some kind of mic microphone discipline because uh, they're just shouting over each other the whole time and laughing and having a too good a damn time, I think, for the for the recording. Um, but yeah, she's um, she's definitely taken to it. Um, there's something really wonderful about gaming with your kids. Um, it's not the same as gaming with with your adult group, but it provides something equally rewarding. In fact, in some ways even more rewarding because you're finding all these different interests that you, you're kind of building together. And um, it is very collaborative. She's got this free and loose imagination. She'll just invent things. She obviously doesn't even know. I, I think on some level she does know we're playing something that is kind of already there, like written and decided, but obviously she's three, three and a half. She's not going to have a very sophisticated grasp of that. But she knows that there's a story there, but at the same time she's, she's not in any way, um, uh, you know, like bound by it. She just makes stuff up and... Um, the other thing is the Rick and Morty adventure, it, to me, I, it really seems like it was designed for three-year-olds. Um, I, my, my, um, my LA group were actually saying that they wanted to play it. One of them's a huge Rick and Morty fan. And I said, it's mainly fart jokes. <laughs> so I honestly don't know what it'd be like to run it with adults because it's very, um, it's very silly and very, uh, scatological. Um, it could definitely veer into some very silly territory very quickly. Uh, it's also not that complex. Obviously, it's designed for kids. Uh, well, at least kids of a certain age, because it's quite rude, obviously. Um, you know. But, uh, but yeah, uh, gaming with kids is a, is a wonderful thing, and I, I'm so glad I'm doing it with her, and hopefully she will grow up into, into a gamer. I... I I think if that's one thing I can give her is is a love for games, I think that would be a good thing to have done. And then finally, just uh, Spencer, you mentioned how much you like Space Dicks. Um, that is my LA crew. Um, I really, really enjoyed putting that together. It was so much fun. I think the sci-fi tropes are, are so much fun to, to, to kind of delve into. And there's so much good material there and you know obviously my touchstones are Douglas Adams and Red Dwarf um, and um, Space 1999 and, and, and what have you um, <clears throat> but um, but I don't think they make I don't think those things would make a particularly good game setting I think they're just too ludicrous all of those three things um Actually, no, Space 1999 might, might make a good setting, but um, that's more in uh, uh, Jason and and, um, and Ray Otis's uh, wheelhouse. Uh, they're the ones that are doing a deep dive into that. So definitely check out uh, Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Um, he did, a, him and Ray put together a really great episode about Space 1999. But yeah, I, I've been really enjoying putting that together. 
um, my players keep saying, where's the second episode? And um, oh, I've got on a very noisy bit of road, so I'll have to talk a bit louder. It's one of those crinkly bits of road. It's the crinkly bits, you know, like Norway. Um, so, yeah, I'm way behind. And in fact, I'm so far behind on all my actual plays. Um, I really need to think about whether I can have four, three or even four of them kind of going in tandem. It's, it's, it's a lot of work. Um, but I've kind of got into the habit of recording them, so... I don't know. It's material. I don't, I don't necessarily want to get it to go to waste, and people seem to enjoy them. So that will be to, to that will be decided. I guess that will be um, uh, one of the decisions I make when we move into season two or series two, if you're if you're British. So um, so yeah, I I think that's probably it. I'm uh, driving back to Grizzly Peaks now after being in San Jose in glorious boring downtown San Jose, not even downtown, um, uh, you know, a, a, yeah, boring San Jose. Um, so yeah, um, thanks for listening. Um, I will now let the dulcet tones of TJ Drennan play out the episode. It's a game.